Looking forward to opening God's word with you. You can, you can turn to Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 14. You know, I don't know what your plans are tonight, but there's a little thing going on called the Super Bowl. Okay, so you're excited. Uh, you know, if, if you plan to watch, and I, I say if because, uh, you know, my, my daughter just wants to watch the Puppy Bowl instead, and so we'll see how that goes uh, later on. But if you plan to watch, you're likely to be overwhelmed with all sorts of things that are going to go on. One, one of those things is the commercials. Um, I read that uh, companies have spent $7 million for one ad in the Super Bowl this year. Uh, they they want to get their brand in front of you. And uh, if a company is doing a good job advertising, you can identify their company by their logo. So a logo identifies a company, and, and I'll just prove my point really quick. Jeff, will you put one of those logos up? Tom, what is this? Yeah, and so you generally know what they sell and, and generally know how much it costs and all those kind of things. You, you get that. Or what, what about another one? You generally know what they sell and what they cost and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, the next one, okay, so, so NBA, National Basketball Association, last service I almost said National Baptist Association. I don't know. <laughs> it almost came out. It was, it was the early service. Things happen in the early service. Well, well you, you can identify that one not just because of the logo, but because sometimes logos, um, they don't just identify the company. They show you what they do. Uh, this, this particular brand, their logo shows you what they do, that's Jerry West. It's a silhouette of Jerry West. It's actually from a picture of, of a move he was making and the artist found that move and thought that was perfect and he made that into the silhouette. Uh, the logo identifies the brand but also shows you kind of what they do. So I don't know if you have a logo moment in your life, a moment that you can point back and you can say, that moment right there, that's who I am. That moment defines me. Like when I experienced that, when I accomplished that, when I finished that, when I walked through that, when I overcame that, that's who I am. That's my logo moment. Or I wonder if in your life you have any of God's logo moments. Like I would have never made it through, but, but God was there and he came through. I was, I was never gonna make it, but then God, God showed up. The people of Israel have one of God's logo moments in their history, a time when, when God came through in the direst of circumstances. It was such a defining moment for them that they were gonna view many things throughout their history through the lens of this one event. I'm talking about the parting of the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14. It was so monumental that the people of Israel could see their lives through the lens of that one event. We've been in a series that we're calling The Greatest Hits. We're looking at stories uh, throughout the Bible, some of the most famous stories that you could think of, stories that would show up in any kid's storybook Bible, um, and we're just walking through those stories together and reminding ourselves of these foundational truths, but also uh, looking at how these things apply to our lives today. 
And so we're gonna be looking at the parting of the Red Sea today. Let me, before we go there, let me set the stage for you. The people of God were promised that the land of Canaan would belong to them. But unfortunately, because of a famine, they were brought down to Egypt, where over the course of a few centuries, they became slaves in Egypt. And they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord sends a deliverer, Moses. And, and you're aware of this story probably. Moses shows up to Pharaoh. He says, the Lord says, let my people go. But Pharaoh won't listen. Even after uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine plagues, Pharaoh still won't listen. After the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh expels Israel out of Egypt. And Exodus 13 tells us that, that God was leading them through the wilderness with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And that brings us to our text. And as we look at Exodus 14, here's, here's the big idea. This is what you need to see here. God delivers from impossible situations for his glory and for our good. So we're gonna look at chapter 14 together. And there are four truths that I wanna point out to you as we work through these verses. And maybe you're taking notes and you could write these things down as we come to them. Here's the first truth that I wanna point out to you. The Lord plans our circumstances for his glory. That's verses one through nine. The Lord plans our circumstances for his glory. Let's begin with the text. Let's look beginning in verse one together. Here's what Moses wrote. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Haharoth between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, as we have looked at uh, Exodus, we've thought through it. The Lord is leading the people with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and here he tells Moses and the people of Israel where to camp. God is leading them, and really, uh, these locations are difficult to identify historically, but, but what we can know from these verses is that the Lord has led them in one direction, and now he is telling them to go back the other direction. So if you were um, on the outside and you were looking at their movements, you would be tempted to think they don't know where they're going. They're supposed to be going to the promised land, but now it looks like they're wandering. As a matter of fact, they couldn't have stopped in a worse place. If they have stopped, backed up to the Red Sea, now they are boxed in. And I can't, I can't help but wonder, why would the Lord lead them to a bad place well, look with me in verse three. It says, for Pharaoh will say of the people, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So here's the idea from the outside looking in. It, it, it looks like they're wandering, that they're lost. And the Lord says that's on purpose because I want Pharaoh to see that Israel is lost or looks lost and I want Pharaoh to see that they look trapped and I'm going to entice Pharaoh to come after them. Now why in the world would God 
want the Egyptians to come after his people. Well, we're told there in verse four, the Lord says, I will get glory over Pharaoh. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. See, it is the Lord's sovereign plan to entice Pharaoh and the Egyptians to chase Israel so that he can display his glory to the nations. The Lord has placed them in a seemingly precarious place because he intends to use it to show his power and his might that he might be glorified. The Lord says, I'm gonna get glory over Pharaoh. What, what he means is that he's going to do something so praiseworthy that everyone's gonna see it and it's gonna demand glory. When we speak about the glory of the Lord, there's really two aspects to the glory of the Lord. The, the one aspect is that he does glorious deeds, that he triumphs gloriously. That's the glory of God. But then there's a second aspect to that, and, and it's that the glorious deeds kind of demand glorious praise from his people. This is the glory of the Lord. Now, when we look at our lives, we can see the Lord plans our circumstances for his glory. The, the Lord plans our circumstances so that he can do something glorious, so he can triumph gloriously, and we and those around us can see it and also give him glory for those things. The Lord plans our circumstances for his glory. Now we, we can look at our lives and we can sometimes wonder, does God really know what he's doing? Like if God is in the driver's seat of my life, does he know where he's going? Because sometimes the Lord leads us to confusing places. Sometimes he leads us to difficult places. Sometimes he leads us to painful places or places of struggle or places of weakness. Have you ever felt like the people of Israel, like, like he's led you to a place where you feel like your back is at the Red Sea? and that the army of Egypt is chasing after you? You need to know that God is in control. And God has a plan for your life, and God plans your circumstances for his glory. Whatever your situation is, whether it's good or bad, he has planned your circumstances so that everyone around you will know that he alone is God, that Jesus Christ is Lord over all creation. And verse four ends with, and they did so. The Lord told Moses, Moses told the people, and they obeyed. They didn't have all the details put together. They didn't connect all the dots, but they trusted the Lord, with their present and with their future. Israel did what they were supposed to. And in verses five through nine, it's gonna show us that, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians did what they were supposed to as well. Look with me at verse five. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us? 
So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi Ha-Haroth in front of Baal Zephon. So Pharaoh did what he was supposed to, and he chased after Israel, and they caught up to them at the sea. So imagine, if you're Israel, imagine what's going on. You look to your left, and there is a sea. And you look to your right, and you see one of the most powerful armies in the world coming after you. And you don't know their intention. Maybe they're coming to, to kill you, or maybe they're, ta- they're coming to take you back into captivity. You are in between a rock and a hard place with nowhere to go. Imagine how you would feel in that circumstance. You might feel afraid for the future. You might be angry or bitter towards the Lord because he's led you there, or to his servant Moses because he was God's mouthpiece and he led you there. Maybe you would feel helpless. Maybe you would feel weak. Or maybe by God's grace, you would feel full of faith. I don't know how you would react, but we can see how the people of Israel react to their rock in a hard place, and that brings us to our second truth that you could write down. We fear our circumstances because we doubt God. See, the Lord plans our circumstances for his glory, but we fear those circumstances because we doubt him. Look with me in verses 10 through 12. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. We see the reaction of the people of Israel. It says that they are greatly afraid. They are afraid of the Egyptians. They're afraid of the future. And they speak bitterly to Moses You know, the people of Israel had just seen God's mighty hand. He had just delivered them out of Egypt with these 10 plagues that only seemed to affect the Egyptians. They had seen his deliverance in the past. But now, they are immediately afraid and doubting. And they actually say, it would be better for us if we could go back in the past. They like redefine the past. It would be better for me to go back. It was better then. Now, you and I, we we look at Israel and we're like, how could you turn your back on God? Um, But you and I both know that we do the same thing, don't we? we? We have experienced God's goodness. We have experienced his salvation and his blessing in our lives. And as soon as we come up to something difficult, we're afraid. We we forget that God is faithful. 
We forget that God is mighty. We forget that he is for us and not against us. We seem to forget that he was good in the past. He intends to be good in our present and he will be good in the future. We, we forget these things and maybe in some of our weaker moments we, we look back at the past and we say, well, I wish I could just go back there when it was manageable. Now the situation is new and I don't know how to handle it. But here's what we need to know. What's true of Israel is also true of us. See, for Israel, the best was yet to come. Because we, we know how the story goes. They're, they're gonna escape. They're gonna go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And, and then they're gonna make it to the promised land eventually. And then they're gonna conquer the land. They're gonna set up a kingdom, as it turns out, an everlasting kingdom. The best is yet to come for Israel. And that's true for you and me as well. That no matter what difficulty you stand against, no matter what rock and hard place you find yourself in, you can absolutely know for certain that the best is yet to come. And here's why I know that. Romans chapter eight tells us that God works all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next year, but at some point, the best is yet to come. And you can know that for sure. But, but that's hard to remember, isn't it? That's, that's even harder to believe, especially when you're in between a rock and a hard place. So, so what do we need? This is the third truth you can write down. We need someone to tell us the truth about our circumstances. We need somebody to tell us the truth. Because the Lord plans our circumstances for his glory, but we fear those circumstances because we don't really trust God, so we need somebody to come tell us the truth, and that, that's what's gonna happen in our text. Somebody shows up, and he speaks to the people of Israel in verses 13 and 14. Look with me in the text. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. In moments of, of fear and moments of doubt, we need somebody like Moses, the servant of the Lord, to tell us the word of the Lord and to tell us the truth. Moses gives three commands in these verses. The first one is, Fear not. Do not be afraid. See, the people of Israel, they looked this way and that, and they found themselves between a rock and a hard place, and they were afraid. They were afraid of their enemies. They were afraid of the future. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, tells them, do not be afraid. He actually says, the Egyptians that you're looking at today, you'll never see them again. I don't know if anybody in the room needs that word, that the problem, the pain, the struggle, the sadness that you're walking is, the illness that you're walking in today, it's not gonna last forever. There's no promise that, that it'll be over soon, but one day it will be. One day it will be, because Jesus is making all things new. So do not be afraid. This thing that you see today, there's coming a day you won't see it anymore. 
So do not be afraid. Instead, what should you do? The second command there is stand firm. Stand in your place. In other words, take an athletic position and don't let anybody push you to the right or to the left. Don't let your circumstances cause you to waver. Instead, stand firm. And what will happen? The the third command he gives. You will see the salvation of the Lord. You will see his salvation. Here's what Moses means. If you remain faithful to the Lord, you're gonna see deliverance. Now, I I wanna point something out to you in this story. You know the end of the story, so it's all getting muddled together. But, But notice that Moses has not been told yet what's gonna happen. God hasn't told Moses yet, that's gonna happen later, that they're gonna part the Red Sea. So Moses has this faith that that God is going to save them, but he doesn't know how. Here's what Moses knows. The Lord has promised, he has told me that I'm taking you to the promised land. And we're gonna get there. And I don't know if there's a way through the sea. I don't know if this army is gonna disappear. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I do know what God has promised. So we're gonna see the salvation of the Lord. That is the model of faith. Now, what's interesting about this phrase, see the salvation of the Lord. Uh, Salvation of the Lord is an interesting phrase. We, We get the name, the Hebrew name Joshua from this. Joshua means the Lord saves. You know, the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua is the name Jesus. And so you could look at this and you might say, see Jesus. In other words, fix your eyes on Christ. When you're, you're in between a, a rock and a hard place, what do you do as a believer in Jesus? You fix your eyes on Jesus, who the author of Hebrews says is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He ran the race that was before him and he ran it with joy even though it led to a cross and God has given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you're in between a rock and a hard place, in other words, look to Christ and, and here's what I mean by that. As you, as you look to Christ, you can begin to think, man, he died on the cross for me. God gave me his son. And if God gave up his son for me, what makes me think he won't freely give me all things? What makes you think that he won't either deliver you or give you the grace to stand firm in it? God has already given you his very best. What makes you think that he's going to withhold good from you now. And then Moses tells the people, and the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. That last word there is the word silent. I know some Bible translations uh, say the word still. It's, It's the word silent. You only need to be silent. Why do they need to be silent? Because the people earlier, they cried to the Lord. And they began to complain to Moses. And Moses is saying, enough. The Lord will fight for you. That's the principle uh, for Israel's wars going through in the rest of the Bible, that the Lord fights for them. No matter how outmatched, how ill-equipped, 
How disadvantaged they are, the Lord will fight for them. Because the Lord fights for the people of God. That means the Lord will fight for you. He is for you. He is not against you. It doesn't matter how ill-prepared you are. It doesn't matter how weak you are. As a matter of fact, God prefers your weakness. Because it's in your weakness that it's obvious that he's strong. The Lord will fight for you. And then look at what the Lord says in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. That word go forward matches. It's the exact word in verse 10 where it says the Egyptians were marching. This here in verse 15, the Lord tells Moses to tell the people, march. March toward the sea. How many of you need that word today? You've experienced God's goodness in the past, but right now you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, and you've cried to the Lord. And maybe you've even started to complain. You've complained to your relative, or you complained to your neighbor, your friend, or that poor gas station attendant. You just decided to complain to them. And you complain to anyone that will hear. You feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're forgotten, maybe that nobody cares. Here's what you need. You need a friend who's gonna tell you the truth. You need a friend who's gonna open up God's word to you and say something like what Moses says here. Let these words wash over you. If you're, if you're listening to me and you're like, dude, I'm going through a hard time right now. I think, he's, I think he's talking to me. Listen to these words. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. No reason to complain anymore. The Lord is gonna fight for you. So wait in silence, and now march. Don't give up. Do the next thing, but march, and wait in silence for the salvation of the Lord. Now, for the sake of time, we gotta fast forward the story. So verses 15 through 29, here's what happens. It's here that the Lord says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna raise up your arms, and I'm gonna part the waters, and you're, you're gonna lead the people of Israel, they're gonna walk through on dry ground. And that's exactly what happens. Moses lifts up his arms, he holds up his staff, and the people pass through the, the waters on dry ground. It says that the winds parted the waters, the wind blew over the sea and heaped up the waters on either side. It's the same image that's given in the story of the flood, where the wind blew over the flood waters and parted them so dry ground was revealed. So the people of Israel, they passed through the waters on dry ground, but they're not the only ones who entered the sea that day. You see, after them comes the Egyptian army. They enter into the Red Sea, but the Lord causes confusion and their, their chariot wheels get stuck in the mud, and now they're stuck. It's at this moment where they realize they have messed up royally. It's at this moment where they finally decide that they are going to fear the Lord. They should have feared the Lord when Moses showed up and said, the Lord says, let my people go. They should have feared the Lord after the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, however many plagues. He should have feared him at that point. But they didn't. And now they fear the Lord and it's too late. And the waters come crashing down upon them and all the Egyptians drown. And we fast forward it a little bit. We're gonna end chapter 14 in verses 30 and 31 that, that brings me to my fourth truth that I wanna point out to you. 
God uses our circumstances for our good. He plans them for his glory and uses them for our good. In these two verses, we're gonna see in a second, there's a summary telling us what just happened and then there's a result, what happened because these things just took place. Okay, look with me, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. That's the summary statement. Now for the result. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What was the result? Israel saw what happened. What was the result? It brought about a change in them. See, when they stood facing the Egyptians in the Red Sea, they were afraid of the Egyptians. They feared and they doubted. If God was so good, why would he take me to this place? If God was so wise, why would he take me out of a situation while it wasn't great, at least it was manageable, and take me to a situation where I'm not in control anymore? If he was so powerful, if he was so wise, why am I in the spot that I'm in? They feared and they doubted, but then God came through. And they watched it happen. And when God came through, what happened was their fear changed. Moses doesn't tell us that now they weren't afraid. Moses tells us that now they were afraid of something different. They feared the right thing. They were afraid of the Egyptians. Now they feared the right thing. They feared the Lord. You know, the command of the scripture isn't never fear anything. The command of the scripture is to fear the right thing. Don't fear your circumstances. Oh, you should fear the one who put you in those circumstances and intends to deliver you for his glory and for your good. That's the one you ought to fear. And not only did they fear God, it says that they believed God. They believed that he was good. They believed that he was in charge. They believed that he was powerful and wise and that he would indeed keep all of his promises. They believed him and they believed his servant Moses. Moses is the one who told them the word of God. They believed him. See, the outcome of Israel's circumstances was their good. Now they trusted God. Now they believed him. Now they believed Moses, and this was gonna help them going forward. If you were to read the rest of the story of the people of Israel, they needed to know these lessons. And so going forward, they view their circumstances through the lens of this parting of the Red Sea. In our circumstances, our difficult situations, we can know that the outcome is for our good. It may not be the outcome that we desire or the outcome that we feel is best, but that outcome is for our good, that we may fear the Lord and we may believe him and trust his word. That's for our good. So this Exodus 14 story Israel experienced God's logo moment. This is the kind of thing that God tends to do. He's done this sort of thing in the past and he intends to continue to do this sort of thing. We see how the Lord saves his people from impossible circumstances in miraculous ways. And the people of Israel, they viewed their 
their interactions, their situations through the lens of this parting of the Red Sea, through this exodus, and it helps us understand their thinking. So what's gonna happen is they're gonna end up in the promised land, and they're gonna look at this land. It's not empty. It's full of these other peoples that are there. They're, they're mighty warriors, and they're looking at them, and, and they could think, look, if God saved us from the Egyptians and even parted the Red Sea for us to walk through on dry ground, then God can take care of these giants in the land. And then later on in their history, they were gonna be carried off into captivity into Babylon. And as they're in captivity to the Babylonians, they could look back on the Red Sea and they could say, man, God saved us out of that. He parted the Red Sea. We walked through on dry ground. If he could save us from that, he can save us from this. It doesn't matter how impossible it looks. He could save us. They viewed their circumstances through the lens of the Exodus. You know, Jesus himself viewed his circumstances through the lens of the Exodus. As a matter of fact, he calls his death and resurrection an exodus. He, he understood that his death seemed like an impossible situation, but the Lord was gonna deliver him through miraculous circumstances that he died and he rose from the dead. Jesus viewed his own circumstances through the lens of the exodus. And that gives us warrant to view our circumstances through that lens also. We, we look at our lives and we're the people of the Exodus. You and I were enslaved to an enemy that was too big for us. We were in bondage to sin, and our only end could be our destruction. But the Lord Jesus gave his life. He died on the cross. It's like he parted the seas for us, and he walked through. And those of us who are in Christ, we walk through on dry ground also. He saves us from our sins. We can view the end of all things through the, the lens of the exodus. At the end of all things, we, you know, you and I, we're, we feel like believers in Jesus, we feel like we don't, we don't fit in this world. That, that's because this world is not our home. We're, we're just journeying through. We're, on, we're sojourners here. We're just passing through on our way to the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. We are headed that direction and one day we're gonna get there and there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus is going to return and he's going to pour out judgment on the whole earth and the people of God are gonna pass through that judgment safely like it's the Red Sea and we're passing through and those who oppose God will be destroyed like the Egyptians. We can view the end of all things like we view the Exodus. But we are in exile we are sojourning, we are on our way. What, how are we supposed to view our current circumstances, not the future, not our salvation, but the day-to-day -day things that we're walking in? Can we view those through the lens of the Exodus? The answer is yes, yes. Look, maybe, maybe you're walking through something right now and you, you identify with the people of Israel, you're in between a rock in a hard place, you're, you're like, if God is in the driver's seat, I, I would never say this out loud, but if God's driving, he doesn't know where he's going. And you've walked up, it feels like you've walked up and there's the Red Sea and you turn around and now the Egyptians are chasing you and you don't know if you're gonna make it. Whatever you're walking through right now, I want you to hear the words of Moses. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. 
You don't need to complain. The, the Lord is gonna fight for you. You just need to be quiet. God is not lost. God knows right where you are. As a matter of fact, he put you there. He put you there for his glory and for your good, that you might fear the Lord, that you might know him, that you might believe him and believe his word. When the Lord delivers you, you can give glory to him that the world may know that Jesus is Lord.